um, the role of elders and deacons. And this week we come back to our series. This morning we are picking up in verse uh, 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. For the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is it you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that every bit of it is breathed out by you. We pray, Father, that you would use it in our lives by your Spirit. Uh, Lord, that we might walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, uh, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We ask these things in the name of our Savior. Amen. Well, as I look over my long 37 and 11 twelfths years of life, I see many ups and downs. Many ups and downs. Times when I trusted God well, and then other times when I didn't. Surely that's your story as well. Seasons of obedience, walking closely with God, and then seasons of less obedience. Uh, sometimes of just straight up disobedience. Turns out this is the picture of every believer ups and downs of this life. That is certainly not what we're called to. It is the reality of the Christian life, and we see it reflected in the life of Father Abraham today. See, the Bible makes it very clear that our actions reflect what's going on in our hearts. And when we aren't seeking the Lord and trusting fully in Him, it will impact our behavior. Our text today is an important one. Indeed, it's actually a text that gives us more confidence in the reliability and the authority of God's Word because, you know, Christianity is the only religion, first of all, it's the only true religion, but it's the only religion whose holy book, whose holy writing ever records anything bad about the heroes of the faith. Did you know that? You think about all the stories of the Bible, and there are a lot of bad ones about our so-called heroes of the faith. So it actually encourages us, it gives us firmer belief in the authority of God's Word that this is true. Because there's one hero in the Bible, and his name is Jesus. See, in our text, Abram, or as he's later called, Abraham, I mean, he, he messes up big. See, last time we looked at him, he was full of faith and obedience trust and good works, he was doing so well, but just like us, he went from doing great, and then he really blew it. Right? How? Why? Because he did not believe the promises of God, and he took matters into his own hands. 
He used natural, worldly, fleshly wisdom to try to, quote-unquote, help God. Does God need our help? No. He tried to use evil to achieve something that was good, and it all flowed from his heart. And we can do the same thing, can't we? When we cut corners morally, when we seek to excuse our sinful actions, because it was in the pursuit of something good, right? The idea that the ends justify the means is not a biblical one. In fact, a lot of times God seems to be more concerned about the means than He is about the ends. Well, the framework I'd like to look at in our text of how all this reflects what's going on in our heart is what's right, what's wrong in this text, what's wrong with this picture, I mean, and, and what's right with this picture. Uh, by the way, just to give you a spoiler, there's nothing good about Abram in this, in this text. Next week, we will look at the renewal that Abram experiences. So remember this, on the far side of this mess-up and on the far side of our mess-ups, there is renewal, there's forgiveness, there's a recalling on the name of Jesus. He didn't lose his relationship with God here. There's hope on the far side of failure because Christ has paid for our failures. But today we look at his failure and see how it reflects our own struggles with the promises of God. Our text opens in verse 10 with a very significant problem. They were out of food. That's a big deal, right? Food, I, I like food. And, uh, you know, I've tried to stop eating between snacks recently. Uh, you know, it's been, it's been tough. It really has been. But, you know, this was, this was kind of sustaining food. And it seems that Abram actually had a lot of people to feed. Verse 10 tells us, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Going to Egypt in time of famine was a common thing back then. And find, in fact, we find it throughout the, the, the Old Testament. You know, whereas the promised land depended upon rain uh, for uh, water for crops and animals and, and just for people, uh, that's not how things worked in Egypt. They had the Nile River, which just flowed and flowed and flowed. In fact, once a year, it would overflow its banks and make the soil so rich with nutrients. I mean, it was hard not to grow things there. And so you would go to Egypt to stay for a while when there was a famine. Now, it's completely natural for Abram to do this, to head that way. That's where the food was. After all, surely, surely God didn't want him to die. You know, there's a lie that, that f- forms a lot of our actions these days, and that's, but God wants me to be happy. It's amazing the things we excuse when we have that kind of logic of, well, God just wants me to be happy, and therefore I can do this, that, and the other, even if God's Word says something else. Did you, did you know that obedience is better than life? Have you ever thought about that? Obedience is more important and better than life itself. I don't know that we, I don't know that I, often act like that. What's the problem here? God had promised Abram a great many things. He really had. He had promised him a great many things. First, he said he would, he would bless him. And blessings certainly going to include spiritual blessings, but at the very least, it's going to include food. He's part of this whole plan for the redemption of creation. God's not going to let him die because he doesn't have enough food. The second is that he promised him offspring. You know, in order for there to be offspring, you have to be alive. God wasn't going to let him die. And the third, God promised him this land, this wonderful land. The promises of God were tied to this land. And what does he do? He leaves the land. See, God had called Abram out of the pagan land to go to the promised land. What does he do in our text? He leaves the promised land to go to a pagan land. 
He's going the wrong way. See, Abram was living and acting out of unbelief or disbelief. He simply did not trust the promises that God had made to him. We do that all the time, don't we? We really do. But think about the original context here. Remember, uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Uh, God wrote it through Moses. It is inspired as God's Word. Uh, And it was written at a specific time. It was written after God had led His people out of Egypt by the hand of of Moses. They're in the wilderness waiting for folks to die at this point. And uh, and so they they would have read this section, or or actually they would have read it so that people could memorize large sections of it. And you sit around the fire at night and and hear large sections of Scripture um, recited. And you would learn this way. And, and can't you imagine, here they are, this generation that's been led out of, the, out of captivity to Egypt. They're sitting around the campfire, and do you know what they're eating? They're eating manna. Remember, God's people had run out of food, and, and so they asked for it. And what did God do? He gave it to them. He made it rain bread. That's pretty amazing. And can't you just see the young boy, his, his mouth full of manna? Wow. What do you mean? Father Abraham didn't believe that God could provide food when there wasn't any. As he stuffs another piece in his mouth. But this is how our hearts work, don't they? We academically trust the promises of God, but then when the rubber meets the road, we find out just how much or how little we trust God's promises. Lord, help us, right? So they leave the promised land, the land of promise. And they head to Egypt. Now, God might have sent them to Egypt if they had asked. We don't know how God would have provided if they had simply asked. It might have included Egypt. It will later. There are other times when God says, hey, go to Egypt, get food there. But not here. There's no mention of God until verse 17. The only time we see God's name, or the first time we see God's name mentioned is verse 17 when God is going to bring afflictions upon the house of Pharaoh. Abram doesn't pray and ask God. Have you ever done that with big decisions? Have you ever, can you look back at big decisions and think, man, I really should have prayed for that. really should have prayed about that more. I should have sought the Lord on that. I can think of some major decisions, which I did not pray about. And, and it never was really all that good. Well, as they get close to Egypt, Abram looks up at the billboard, you know, put out by the Egyptian tourist authority that says, welcome to Egypt. And he says, hey, good looking. You're going to have to tell them that you're my sister and not my wife. Because you're so good looking, what's going to happen is they're going to take you as their wife and kill me. Now, what's he assuming? She, either way, either he dies or lives, she's going away. Husbands, don't do that to your wife. Just, just let you know, this is a bad move. And so he, and so he says, you've got to tell her that you're, you're my, my sister and not my wife, so that it'll go well for me on account of you. You know, he's making some bad decisions here. He's already left the land of promise, and now he's putting his wife in danger through whom the offspring will come. What would happen if she were to conceive by someone else? Whose child would it have been? I love how Moses puts it. In 11 verses, he is going to mention that Sarah is Abram's wife five times. In case you forget who Sarah is, she's Abram's wife. Your wife, his wife, Abram's wife, your wife, your wife, your wife, over and over again. What was Abram doing? Okay, well, we need to address the fact that 
Sarah was 65 years old or older, and they said, you are so cute, they're going to steal you. Okay, what's going on with that? Well, first of all, we have to remember that um, the ancient Near East ideas of beauty are, are different than ours. And also that she, she died when she was 127 years old. So it's likely that her 60s or 70s, however, however old she was, it was probably like our 30s or 40s. Or maybe Pharaoh himself was in his 60s. We, we don't know, but apparently she was very pretty. Very pretty, very desirable. Now, what is Abram doing? Now, here's the thing. There's no doubt he was looking out for his own interests without trusting God, without seeking the Lord. And how often do we fall into this trap? We seek our own interests without seeking God's will, without seeking His help, without humbling ourselves before Him. He probably had good motives, right? God didn't want him to die. Didn't he know that, that the seed was going to come through him, the offspring was going to come through him? So this is just the way that he was going to help God out. He probably had good motives. In fact, verse 10 says that he was going to sojourn there. He wasn't moving there for good. He wasn't leaving the promised land for good. He was just leaving for a little while. We also should mention that it's possible that Abram uh, wasn't selling his wife into certain... Um, matrimony with a foreigner. Uh, in those days, when a, a daughter, when a woman was married off, her father made all of the negotiations. But when the father died, the brother took over. And so it's likely, it's possible, I guess, that he was going to slow down those negotiations as long as he could. And then before she was swept up into matrimony, he would escape. Man, sin gets complicated though, doesn't it? And a lot of times we craft different stories to, to make it so that our consciences are assuaged, right? One of the key morals of this text, and an important ones in today's society, is that we can't do good by evil means. We can't do good by evil means. In other words, the ends do not justify the means. And when we seek to achieve perhaps a good thing, we are forbidden by God's Word to use underhanded means to do it. God is not glorified, and He will not bless it. That's, what, that's one of the things we learn from this text. It's real clear. But y'all, we can be so good at putting lipstick on that pig, can't we? We can be really good at making it seem like a good thing when it really is not. Take, for example, Abram. What's the kicker here? What's the thing that complicates this? Sarai was his sister. Sarai was his half-sister. We learned that from Genesis chapter 20. Because he's going to do this again, y'all. We learned that he is, she is his half-sister. And so, so what is he saying? He's not telling a lie, is he? Is he? He's just not telling the whole truth. Now, he's crafted this so that it sounds good enough for himself to be okay with it. But he knows full well what other people will hear. He knows what he's doing. Let's talk about some examples of how we might do similar things. First of all, please don't lie that your wife is your sister. That's, that's, the, clear, that's the clear application of this text, right? But what are some subsidiary applications? The first is, let's think about anger. Let's think about parenting or, or uh, being an employee, a fellow employee, a co-worker, right? 
Now, when we think about children, we want our children to obey. We want them to be disciplined. We want them to do good. We want them to grow up to be productive citizens and love the Lord. But oftentimes, we, we seek to achieve those things by anger, don't we? We confuse discipline with just hot rage at times. James 1.20 says that anger does not produce the righteousness which God requires. And sometimes we can come to a situation as parents with sinful anger rather than concern for the child and self-discipline. This is something parents we always struggle with, or grandchildren. What about at at work, right? Is anger really going to produce the good that you desire it to? Or provision, as we seek provision for our families. Abram was certainly trying to do that. He was trying to provide for a whole bunch of people, but we cannot do so by underhanded means. In fact, there are some jobs that Christians can't take, and there there are a lot of jobs that Christians have to do differently than the world says you should. We have to resist the pull to be a little less than truthful in order to get ahead. Don't you feel that pull when you do your taxes? I do. Now, as far as I know, I've never lied on my taxes. But you start filling out all those forms and oh, man, i got to report that too? Maybe you're far holier than I am and you don't struggle with that. Or what about uh, resumes? Did you know that 40% of Americans lie on their resumes? Let me, let me tell you some good ones here. Uh, here's, here's a real-life example. 22-year-old applicant claimed three different degrees. That's pretty impressive when you're 22, right? One applicant claimed that he had studied under the famous philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who died 122 years ago. <laughs> that would be a tough one, right? Uh, one applicant claimed to have 25 years of experience at the age of 32. Uh, and my favorite, another person claimed that he had been a construction supervisor The interviewer learned that the bulk of the experience was in the completion of a doghouse some years prior. What about culture? I think this one's really important that we think through this. You know, at times we may feel like, I need to know what's out there so that I can reach the culture. I need to watch those TV shows so that I can be able to talk to my children about them. Even when I know those TV shows contain things I don't need to see or hear. But in order to be relevant, in order to know what's out there, I need to do X, Y, and Z. Y'all, that, that's, that sounds like a good goal, but it really it's just an, ends up being an excuse. Or fear. This is a big one, isn't it? We all struggle with fear, whether knowingly or unknowingly. You know, certainly fear motivated Abram. He was afraid of death, right? He valued his life over obedience to God. Hebrews says that we should fight sin even to the point of shedding our blood because our Savior shed His blood for our sin. You know, a a life that is ruled by fear is not lived. A life that is ruled by fear is not lived. Let me say that one more time. A life that is ruled by fear is not lived. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of self-control. What are we afraid of? What about all the fear that we should daily confess to the Lord instead of tolerating it in our lives? I think fear, I know it has in my life. It has deeply impacted my own decisions. 
Part of the problem with Abram's situation in Lie is that when we start going down the track of seeking something good by evil means, there are always unintended consequences. So if we put the best light on Abram we can and say that he was going to have a long negotiating period for his sister for marriage, okay, that's great. That's a lie. But okay, we'll give you that. Well, here's the problem. There was one man in Egypt who did not have to negotiate, and his name was Pharaoh. And that's what happened here. See, Pharaoh's princes saw her and said, hey, she is good looking. And the only time any kind of worship goes on in this text, it says that they praised her to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh took her into his harem. She would have, he would have had a lot of wives. He would have had a lot of wives. But you know, even now, it was not too late for Abram to, to speak up, right? It might have cost him his life. But his wife was in peril. Sometimes obedience costs us, doesn't it? And the further we go down the road of once we start shading the truth, once we start um, tolerating something that is ungodly in our pursuit of something that we think is good, the further we go down the road, the harder it is to get out. But y'all, 1 Corinthians tells us, 10 verse 31-ish, says that God will always give us a way out. Always. Always. It may cost you. He could have stopped it. Even when Pharaoh started giving him all this stuff, did you see in 16 all the great stuff he got? He went looking for food, and he gets great wealth. How tainted that wealth must have felt to Abram to look out at all those donkeys and camels and all that stuff and think, yeah, but my wife, will I ever see her again? Let's talk about some other things wrong with this picture. The first is that is found in verse uh, 15. Um, but the Lord afflicted... I don't think that's the right verse. Uh, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. <laughs> now, it's not God's actions that's wrong with this picture. Rather, it's that Abram has brought curses upon the nations instead of blessings. Do you remember in Genesis 12 too, God told Abram, I'm going to bless you, and there's a purpose that I'm going to bless you. It's so that you will be a blessing to others. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. He's supposed to be a blessing to Pharaoh, pointing him to the one true God. And what has he done? He has pointed him away from the one true God and caused plagues to come upon his head. This happens, by the way, when we mix intentionally deception, sin, and the defiance of God into our actions. Curses that are going to abound, not just for us. I'm not talking about losing our salvation, but I'm talking about consequences, not just for us, but also those around us. Sin gets really complicated the further we tolerate it, doesn't it? Is there any, let me just ask very pointedly, is there anything in your life that you're tolerating that you don't need to? Is there something you need to do business with God over? God is loving. He is gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love. And next week we'll see that, that renewal is possible. I'll tell you now, renewal is possible. Forgiveness is possible. If we, for, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that filthiness, that, that feeling of shame that comes with sin. Jesus paid for those things, y'all. And no matter how far deep you're in, you can always get out. There's freedom in Christ. For, Christ, for freedom, Christ has set you free. You may need help. But y'all, you don't have to live in it. 
Well, there's another thing that's wrong with our picture. And look, here, here's the thing. It's bad when the one guy in this picture who considers himself a half-god, who is Pharaoh, he considered himself God or a half-god, he's going to rebuke morally the chosen man who's supposed to be a blessing for the nations. Abram's supposed to be the good guy. Pharaoh's supposed to be the bad guy. But Pharaoh is more morally upright in this picture than Abraham is. That, that's just messed up. Finally, what's wrong with this picture? Not finally, finally, sorry. Finally for this point. What's, uh, what's, uh, what's wrong with this picture is there are lasting consequences. You know, it's interesting that, uh, that Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to list all these things that he's going to get. And in there are female servants. And if we fast forward to Genesis 16, verse 2, we read that there's one Egyptian maidservant by name who's going to get him in a lot of trouble. And her name is Hagar. It's likely that this is when he got her. And if you know the story of Abraham, that's a bad season. Talk about lasting consequences. That's where, Arabs, that's where Muslims come from, right? Through her line, Ishmael. So what's right about this picture? We've talked about a lot of wrong stuff. God shows up, right? God shows up. Praise God for that. That's the but God, you know? God shows up. God comes to the rescue in verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great, great plagues because of Sarai, uh, Abram's wife. Now, remember the context. Those who are hearing this for the first time, who are they? They are those who have just been delivered from Egypt by plagues. They knew exactly what was going on here. They said, oh yeah, we've been through that. Praise God. Now, but here's the thing. God rescued His people through judgment. God rescued His people through judgment. He brought rescue and salvation to His people by bringing judgment upon His and their enemies. Now, Pharaoh had done it unintentionally, but he had still sinned against the ancestress, the the woman through whom the offspring was going to come, the wife of the, the man of promised father, Abraham. But there is a better exodus. There is a better deliverance. There is a better rescue. And through this, we are saved. See, here at the cross, as we think about God's justice and His rescue, right, judgment and redemption, But this time, instead of bringing His wrath upon His enemies, who does He bring His wrath upon? His beloved Son. So that we who were His enemies might be called the children of God. We were the ones who should have been afflicted with plagues, but instead He afflicted His own Son that we might be saved, forgiven, and called His children. God's love is amazing. And even when we try to do what's right and good, our sinful motives taint that which is beautiful, but God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Praise the Lord. How do we know this? Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's one other thing that's important, that's good here, that's right about this picture, and it's that ultimately God's plans are bigger than ours. Even Abram's really bad mess up in this text. This was really bad. It wasn't going to foil God's plans. See, his plans were much bigger than just Abram. He's going to use Abram, as messy as he is, to achieve his promises. 
His promises and His plan were ultimately going to involve His offspring, the seed of Abraham, the son of Abraham, whose name is Jesus, God incarnate, who came into the world, who would live the perfect life that we have not, who would fulfill the law for us, who, could, who would do what the law cannot do for us, die on the cross for our sins, paying for our transgressions. See, the record of debt that stood against us, it has been nailed to the cross. He has set it aside. Christ has paid for it. This is His plan ultimately to, have, to make all things new. And Christ will come again. And when He comes, we will see that God's plans are so much bigger than our, our own mess-ups, including for your life. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So let me tell you something. If you're in a season like Abram, or you look back and you look at those times when you've really messed up, it's not beyond God's redemption. God can use it, and He will use it for His glory and your good. Let's pray. Father, we do yearn for that day when Christ comes again and all is made new. Until then, Lord, help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Lord, guard our hearts from seeking to do what is right by evil means. Set our hearts and affections again more squarely upon our Savior and Your will for us. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, as we come to the Lord's Supper, uh, we'll stay seated and sing 410, My Faith Looks Up to Thee, verses 1 and 2. 1 and 2. <laughs>